0: You're listening to Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Now, from the heart of Amish country, here's Troy and Howie.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Please like us on Facebook, where you can click the anchor link to leave us a voicemail. You can follow us on Twitter at StayTunedTNH. You can even email the show at staytunedtnh at gmail.com. You can find our merchandise at tchip.com and by searching Stay Tuned. A big thank you to Jesus Perez for helping to set that up for us. And if you need any artistic help, you can look him up on Facebook at Ace in the whole Signs and Graphics or Dirty Baby Original. And his website is aceintheholesigns.com. We are available on all major podcast platforms, including Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So please make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate your support. Now let's get into the show.
0: All right. Well, welcome back, and uh, we're still on. Uh, we're still on the interview with Jose Rosado, and uh, we're going to go right into his uh, second half of the interview. And as we mentioned, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about his books, uh, being good at being bad and deliberate injustice, a little bit more into detail this week, Troy. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, like I said, it's really interesting. And you kind of hear, you know, this is where you're going to hear where I come into play in regards to uh, you know me working into the same school district and you know and some of the troubles that I've actually witnessed, Jose. So what he's saying isn't necessarily. I mean, it's not untrue. I mean, unfortunately. It's yeah. it's actually it op- factual.
1: It opened my eyes up to some things that I did not know were going on. And
0: yeah. Yeah, now you're going to hear a
1: little bit more uh, background as to, you know, why these books came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, a lot more detail about um, why he wanted to write these books and get his voice heard um, through, through these platforms, because it's really interesting and it's and in the same breath, it's kind of sad that things like this are happening, really.
0: Oh, yeah, so true. And uh, but yeah so why don't we just go right into it and uh, and we'll we'll go right into the interview with Jose Rosado right after this break Stay tuned
2: And when you talk about being good at being bad you know that's the point that I make status and recognition is very 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 important status and recognition is just important as important to that 15 16 year old kid in the projects as it is to your corporate CEO status and recognition. Yep. So that that young person starts to realize that if I'm not going to be a good student, I, I, I'm not uh, athletically gifted. I'm not artistically gifted. I, I you know, I, I don't have those particular gifts. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go to college. I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, be a professional. That I'm going to be the best that I can be at what it is that I know and, and, and uh, you know I could identify with, being good at being bad. Yeah. So I'm going to be the best drug dealer. I'm going to be the best gangbanger. I'm going to be the best pimp, the best and the biggest pimp. So that's what gives them status and recognition. So that's the lifestyle that they start to take on. And, you know, as the book says, being good at being bad. And uh, in my case, you know, that's what I did. I was really good at being bad because that's what gave me status. That's what gave me recognition. And, and, uh, you know, that's what I fed off of. And, and, uh, you know, that's what what gave you, as they say, street cred. That gives you that street cred. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of young people that grew up in that type of environment coming from those dysfunctional homes, coming from those types of communities, they gravitate toward those antisocial behaviors Being good at being bad, they identify with those things. Obviously, the music industry, the entertainment industry certainly promote all of that. And there you have, you know, being good at being bad.
0: So true. And, uh, you know, it's uh, interesting that you mentioned about the kids, that analogy with a kid at eight years old versus a kid at 15 years old. Uh, I actually, when I read your book, and I know I've talked to you about this in the past, um, I teach, you know, I teach mental health in different communities and such, and I've actually used that analogy on many occasions uh, because I always talked about that uh, when it came to, you know, why are our dreams getting, you know, and what, I, and what I actually did a little research myself on that topic, and what I came to with the conclusion was um, these kids, uh, along with what you said, Jose, um, their dreams also start getting squashed. You know, yes. yeah, the parents start telling you uh, or not even the parents, but family members or friends. They'll either start yeah. making fun of you because you want to become somebody uh, in some cases based on your race. How dare you think you're going to become a doctor living in the projects? Uh, yes. You know, all that stuff comes into play. But yet, you know, I you don't hear, you know, at at eight years old, you know, when a kid at eight years old is saying that, you know, that's when they are getting kind of encouraged. Oh yeah, you should do this and should do that. But then when they yes. get to 15, it's like, you know what? You need to be a little more realistic with your life. And, yes. and, uh, yes. obviously that's just terrible because if somebody wants to be something, you let them strive to be it. They might not achieve it, but at least they have something to strive for. Yep.
2: Yeah. But unfortunately many of the parents, uh, that are, are, you know, having those interactions with their children, you know, they themselves came through that same lifestyle. So their life experiences are based on uh, on those types of uh, experiences in their home with their parents Mm -hmm. and with people in their community and uh, their experiences in their schools. So, you know, again, many of them at some point in their life had hopes, dreams, goals, and aspirations, but eventually because of their life experiences, they finally just gave up and said, "Hey, look at you know this this is my reality. Yeah. This is who I am, and and this is life for people like me." And uh, you know, they unfortunately many times, uh, many of them haven't furthered their education. So when they become parents, uh, they're not prepared to be pa- parents, and nope. now that cycle just continues to perpetuate itself.
0: It sure does. Vicious cycle after vicious cycle is what it is, yes. unfortunately. And,
2: and my thought is that the only hope that, that you know, young people like that, not the only hope, but, but uh, you know, the, the one hope that, that you would think would be a constant, you know, for, for most kids is education. Mm-hmm. That's your one hope. And unfortunately, you know, a, a lot of these kids are experiencing you know, difficult situations in their schools. And, uh, you know, the messages that they're getting from their schools are, are similar to the messages that they're getting at home and so in their true. community. And that's unfortunate. And, and you know, uh, we, we can debate why that is. You know, do some of these kids bring it on themselves? Maybe so. But you have to understand, you know, and I think that, you know, too many of our teachers, uh, even teachers that are teaching in urban districts, don't understand because although they're teaching in an urban district, they're not coming from an urban environment. environment, So they don't understand where these young people are coming from. So now when this young student is walking into that teacher's classroom, maybe at the age of 14, and now this kid is dressed a certain way or walking a certain way or has a certain demeanor, uh, isn't being respectful, or what have you, mm-hmm. you know, how are the teachers responding to that? You know, and, and unfortunately what you have is that a lot of teachers and educators are responding to that kid's, uh, uh, you know, current state of mind or, or, or just where that kid is in regards to, you know, having taken on that being good at being bad lifestyle. Right. So when that kid starts to engage in disruptive behaviors, uh, disrespectful behavior, isn't, isn't responsible or what have you, uh, teachers aren't understanding that. They can't see past that. And oftentimes what I say is that that behavior that the kid is is is, is demonstrating at that point uh, is just a mask. It's a facade, and it's to mask their pain. It's to mask, you know, all of uh, the, the hardships that they've dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's, to, you know, to mask, you know, their insecurities. Uh, so now they've taken on this being good at being bad lifestyle They're walking into the school. You know, they got the strut. They got the dress. They got the talk. You know, they're being confrontational. They're being disrespectful. They're being good at bad. That's what they're doing. They're being good at being bad. And oftentimes, you know, they're basically pushing for that third strike, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, our schools are, are too willing to accommodate kids by giving them that third strike. Because what we do is we respond to the talk, the walk. The, the 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 demeanor the disrespectful behavior the disrespectful attitude they respond to that instead of looking past that and trying to engage with that student and trying to to uh help that young person deal with uh you know all of the 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 hurt and and, and disappointment that that student is carrying right uh, with them at that particular point and uh you know unfortunately we don't do that uh, Our our schools are either, you know, uh, uh, not interested, you know, teachers, administrators, either they don't know or don't care to, you know, want to take the time to uh, help students uh, deal with, uh, you know, some of those hardships. So they're responding to, you know, those behaviors and they're responding by, you know, implementing strict code of conduct, zero tolerance policies and, uh, you know, with with discipline
0: yeah, that's so true and not only and you kind of nailed it on the head too where there's a lot of educators coming into those urban districts that don't have that urban background and don't know how to work with kids of that nature. In fact, you know, I always look at it, you know, you kind of compare it to that iceberg, you know, all you're seeing is that tip of the iceberg. So you're seeing that kids behavior, but you're not really seeing where that kid came from you're not seeing why that kid has the behavior they have all you're seeing is the behavior that you're exhibiting and all you're doing is really just putting out fires as opposed to learning why the kid's acting the way they're acting and addressing the behavior because of why you know of where they came from And, uh, you know, I think that's what gets lost in the shuffle. You know, I'm sure a lot of the educators that teach in the urban districts, you know, and I and you and I both know many of them, uh, they all a lot of them have good intentions. I'm not going to say all a lot (laughs) have good intentions when working with these kids. But um, but they just don't they just don't know because they can't relate for whatever reason. And and that gets tough. You know, it just gets real tough to do.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the things that bothers me, you know, is when a teacher says, you know, uh, I give respect when students show me respect. <laughs> the kids want respect, they have to show respect. And you got to understand that a lot of these kids, off the bat, they're going to be disrespectful. Without a doubt. They're angry. You know, a lot they're of- angry. And, and they've been disappointed so often. They've been disappointed by their parents, they've been disappointed by family members, they've been disappointed by coaches you know, uh, uh, you know, people throughout their life, you know, that constantly disappoint them. And, uh, you know, they they get to a point where they don't trust, you know, you're just another person, you know, that, uh, you know, may have good intentions or what have you, but you're just going to disappoint me at the end of the road. Mm -hmm. So they might come in there challenging you. Yep. Uh, They might, they might come into your classroom, challenging you to see what your level of commitment is to them so true and if, if, if they're coming in and they're challenging and being disrespectful and non-compliant and you react and respond to that by sending them to the principal's office writing them up calling the police well then that kid's gonna say look yep you know you've given up on me already and and, and you know they they expect that most people uh, are, are going to do that because you know those are the experiences that they, they've had in their life. Yep. So you, you have to understand that. I remember, you know, you know, when uh, uh, serving as an assistant principal, and I, I worked in the Bethlehem School District for 23 years before I came to Allentown, and, and I dealt with uh, with a lot of this in Bethlehem. But I remember working with, with you, Howie, in Allentown. Um, yeah. You know, at, at the I program, alternative ed. And, you know, teacher would send the kid down to the principal's office. The kid was disrupted, The kid was being disrespectful. And now the kid would come into the office and, and just, you know, waiting or just assuming that I was going to suspend the kid on the spot. <laughs> right. But, you know, I'd say, hey, you know, have a seat. Let's talk. You know, hey, what happened? Well, why do you want to hear my point of view? You're not going to believe me anyway. Mm-hmm. No, no, I wouldn't hear what happened. You know, you know let's talk about what happened. Okay. And, and the kid would start to share a little bit about what happened. And then, you know, I, I would talk with the kid. Well, hey, just tell me about, you know, uh, you know, he, here you are in alternative ed. You know, uh, I, I would think that you have some goals, you know, educationally. You know, uh, you're a smart kid. You know, uh, you know, what is it that you would really want to get out of school? You know, if, if there's something that you could really get out of school and, and, and look at an education, uh, you know, how could I could be of, of help or service to you? And these kids would look at me like, what really <laughs> like
0: uh, yeah exactly
2: you're in conversation with me you're not going to call my mom you're not going to suspend me i said look i i need to get to know you you know and and, and even with kids that would be in my office cursing at me and, and you've been there you mm-hmm. know they're cursing at you know f you fuck this and that you know uh you know being very disrespectful yeah uh, being very conversational. and and i would just you know again tried the best I could to diffuse that, you know, and I would always, you know, try to, to think about that person, you know, yes, standing in front of me or sitting in front of me right now, I have a very angry, uh, uh, you know, teenager, young man, young lady, being very disrespectful, uh, but I see a lot of hurt in this kid, so I'm going to try to, you know, diffuse this because I know that behind that demeanor you know there's a good kid right you know, and, and I thought, you know I would think back to the kids that I grew up with remember I, I had said you know these were kids that I grew up that were very good they were my friends they were good people yeah eventually you know got into a lot of you know illegal uh, actions uh, substance abuse and what have you but you know I, I, every time I would deal with with a kid that was presenting those types of behaviors I would really, you know, try to look past that and and, and uh, you know reconnect mm-hmm. with with um, that that individual that that had those hopes, dreams, goals, and aspirations. But uh, that's not an easy thing to do, and 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 most people, you know, unfortunately, you know, don't don't view it from that perspective, and they just respond and react to the immediate behaviors that are being displayed at that moment.
0: Yeah, And that, you know, that means... Yeah, well, ahead. I was going
2: to say that, that that reminds me uh, of the interview we just did a couple
1: weeks ago with your, your neighbor, uh, Master Guns. Yeah. And um, like from everything I gathered from him, he didn't grow up in, in that type of environment at all. But he seemed to connect with those kids that were in that inner city. And I'm wondering um, maybe, Jose, do you think it's something that um, just needs to be educated to these people, or does it have to be somebody that came from that environment to be able to touch these kids?
2: It doesn't have to necessarily be someone that came from that environment. Uh, You know, I I can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, my high school years. uh, And and, and throughout my education in the Bethlehem Area School District, K through 12, uh, there was one teacher of color that I actually knew. Uh, I was a teacher in my middle school, and she wasn't even my teacher, but I knew her. Uh, So... Just about all of my interactions with with teachers, educators, K-12, through were white, (coughs) middle-class individuals.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: But in high school, uh, you know, I had, you know, teachers that uh, were very demeaning. Uh, You know, they they would say things that were demeaning. And and I knew that they had no interest in me whatsoever. I I, I definitely uh, knew that. Uh, you know, not only in high school, but in middle school. I got paddled in middle school uh, hmm. by, by a teacher. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, he paddled me because, hey, he just thought it would be cool to paddle this dark-skinned, you know, kid from the projects and, uh, you know, abusing his power and what have you. Hmm. Uh, but in high school, you know, had many teachers that were, uh, you know, very much uh indifferent to who i was and and where i was coming from but i had one teacher a photography teacher mrs Dornblazer. i mean this lady couldn't have been more than five foot tall in in her clogs uh, (laughs) white uh you know german background and she had no idea i mean no she could not identify for a moment you know where i was coming from in regards to my background she started to see where I was coming from because I I was uh, in her photography class and the pictures that I was taking were, you know, pictures that I was taking of family members and people in my community. So she was seeing through the pictures that I was taking the environment that I was coming from. And, uh, you know, she was just very amazed by it. But she was always very, very encouraging. And, uh, you know, I had photography for a couple of years in high school. And I remember, you know, my senior year, you know, she would say to me, hey, Jose, you know, you could be anything that you want to be. You you could go on, you know, to college. Uh, you know, you could become a teacher. You could become a counselor. You could become a police officer. You could become someone that that could have a positive influence with you know young people. You know, in, in your community." And I thought to myself, "Holy heck! You know, she must she must really think you know highly of me. You mm-hmm. know, or, or I must be you know you know a, a special person because." I don't see anyone that looks like me in any of the positions that she's talking about. I don't see anyone that looks like me, you know, as a teacher, as an administrator. I don't see any police officers, firemen that look like me. I don't see that. You know, so that 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 was, you know, something again where, you know, I struggled with it, where, you know, here you have someone who's giving you these positive messages. Right. and, And it felt good. But it also didn't seem realistic because there was no, nothing in, 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 in my experience, nothing in, in, in my life experiences that would have allowed me to believe that what she was saying was true because there was no role models for me in any of those areas that she was talking about. And that was 1980. Hmm. Here we are 40 years later. And uh, I think in many cases, you know, that still holds true for many of our kids. When you look at a school district, Allentown school district, that is 65 percent Latino, 13 percent, 15 percent African-American. So you're talking over 80 percent minority student population. But when you look at the instructional staff and the administration in those schools, predominantly white. Right. You know, (laughs) And and that's the case in in most school districts, and even in your urban school districts, uh, you know, you have a a, a majority-minority student population, but your instructional staff administration, you know, is still predominantly white. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of those people, again, are coming from a background that's very different from the students that they're teaching. And if you don't have an understanding of where these people are coming from, you know, that, that it's difficult for you to see any value in them or to believe that, you know, there's good with these kids because all you're seeing is the bad.
0: Yeah, very true. And uh, and you sort of kind of lead into that. You know, we talked about your upbringing. We talked about that first book. And uh, and then, you know, we talked about the, the staffing in the school districts. And I think you got a lot of kickback because you were one of the few, not only um, staff members, but one of the very few administrators that stood up for the kids that were in the district, and uh, and that's sort of how you came about with that second book. Um, I believe what is it called? Deliberate injustice. Deliberate injustice. Yes, and uh, and you know, and I think a lot of you know. A lot of what you talk about in that book is is so true because um, not too many people are willing to to um, step up to the plate. You know, to use that baseball analogy again, but not too many people are afraid to step up to the plate and uh, and you know bat for those kids because they're easy to kind of push to the wayside because not too many people will support them in the first place, including their own family. So so when you're stepping up for them, now all of a sudden, hey, you know what? This is going against our norms, and uh, how dare you, Jose? Do this? And I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it firsthand on how they treated you when it came to um, you know you sticking up for these kids, and you know it was it was kind of sickening to see that, and it obviously it inspired you to kind of talk about it a little more in detail, especially when. When they kind of dished out, you know, punishment to you for your actions, even though they shouldn't have been punishment, should have been, you know, commending you for, you know, doing something for the community as well as the kids that serve that community.
2: Yeah, uh, well, it was definitely difficult. Uh, you know, without a doubt, a very difficult experience. And and what I often say is that uh, you know it's easy. To give up on uh, on young people. It's mm-hmm. easy to give up on our students, uh, especially those students that are coming into our schools and they're displaying these, uh, you know, disrespectful, uh, disruptive behaviors. Uh, it's, it's easy to give up on them. It's just, you know, uh, a simple thing to do right. is to just uh, run them through the uh, the code of conduct uh, and implement uh, school district policies on them. But again, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, when I interact uh, with these young people, I see a lot of myself in these young people. Mm-hmm. And, and I often say, you know, I was that kid. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm very fortunate. At, at the beginning of the interview, we started, you know, talking about, you know, uh, do I feel fortunate uh, to be where I am today? And, yes, I do feel fortunate to be where I am today. And I think that, you know, part of the reason I am where I am today is because, Uh, You know, even though I was pushing, you know, for that third strike, you know, I I became that being bad. And, uh, you know, I I found myself uh, engaged in a lot of, you know, antisocial, you know, self-destructive behaviors. There were still people that believed me, believed in me enough, you know, to to create opportunities for me and to guide me uh, into uh, uh, opportunities to further my education. And as I said earlier... Uh, I believe that education is going to be, you know, the, the, the saving grace or the saving force yep. for a lot of people that are coming from this background. That's their only hope. Again, because, uh, you know, they're, they're coming from the, those dysfunctional homes. They're coming from those disruptive and dysfunctional communities. So school, for a lot of our young people that are coming from those types of environments, school's their only hope. And uh, we can't be quick to give up on them, especially when uh, they're making it easy for us to give up on them because, again, they're displaying those disruptive behaviors. Right. So, you know, I think that, you know, we have to, you know, work with those young people. And, you know, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, you know, understanding that we've got a lot of young people that are coming from these dysfunctional environments and they may be engaged in substance abuse themselves, you know, as I was, you know, at that age. And also you have a lot of mental health issues that are, are – uh, are evident in a lot of these, these young people and Troy alluded there to the, the influence of of the media and their entertainment industry. So again, all of these factors contribute to these kids taking on this being good at being bad lifestyle. And now they're coming into the schools and they're, you know, fully displaying this particular lifestyle. Uh, You know, they don't aspire to do well educationally, academically, Uh, you know, they, they don't have those academic skills, uh, you know, Uh, they they haven't been in in an academic program, college uh, prep programs or what have you. Uh, They don't have the technology and resources at home. So there's a lot of educational gaps there. So, you know, all of these factors come into play. Now these kids are coming into school and they're displaying these behaviors and teachers again are just quick to want to displace them and implement the the discipline policy because uh, the kids are not being compliant. And, uh, you know, what I say is that, you know, we have to look at creating opportunities for these young people to be successful. And in my case, you know, when I worked with you, Howie, in Allentown, I was the director of the alternative education program. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And, you know, here in the state of Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Department of Education provides guidelines and regulations on how a district can move a student into an alternative education program right and there are guidelines there are procedures and there is due process yes that the district apply with to move a student from a regular education classroom into an alternative education classroom and there are additional guidelines and safeguards for students with ieps your special ed students mm-hmm. so when i became the director of the alternative education program in the outtown school district I'm coming to Allentown, I was coming to Allentown with 23 years of experience already in Bethlehem as a counselor and as an administrator. So what I found at Allentown was just, uh, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, uh, the the violations or, or disregard for student rights and the disregard for following procedures uh, violation of student rights and, and, and special ed student rights uh, was just uh, uh, astonishing, amazing. And uh, what uh, what I tried to do there was uh, meet with uh, the school district administrators as they were referring kids into alternative ed. They were sending students with referrals that were incomplete, had not uh, had uh, had not uh, uh, met uh, any due process guidelines or criteria there was no documentation that the state required uh and not only for regular ed kids but special ed students and uh, that was the practice that was the norm in the allentown school district right. you know kids were being told at their home schools allen and dariff high schools and and also at their middle schools these kids were being told hey tomorrow report to uh, this location mm-hmm. uh, you're you're being moved into the alternative education program and that was it. They were just, you know, from one day to the next just being told to show up. And uh, they were literally showing up at our doorstep <laughs> saying, hey, my principal over at Allen told me that, you know, I'm being moved into alternative ed now. I mean, that's what they were doing. There was no process. There was no procedure. No. And this was just status quo in a school district. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I when I became the director, I said, oh, no, 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 we can't. This is out of compliance. Uh, you know, this is not the way that uh, – that, uh, things are supposed to happen, and uh, certainly out of compliance with state guidelines. So I started to meet with uh, the principals, assistant principals, and counselors, and, you know, long story short, provided in-service and training for those uh, uh, people and said, look, at these are the things that have to be done. Mm-hmm. These aren't Jose Rosado standards or guidelines. These are state standards and guidelines that must be met. This is the application. This is the documentation that's required to move students into alternative ed. Well, uh, you know, after uh, I sent uh, a few students back to their home school, and contacted uh, principals, assistant principals, via email and, and uh, communicated to them that I was not accepting those students because the, the paperwork, the documentation was incomplete, right. uh, I definitely, uh, you know, uh, target on myself. And I would, I would have thought that, you know, these principals, uh, assistant principals, being you know professionals that uh they would have complied with these guidelines with these standards i mean there was some work that was involved no doubt about it they had to do work uh
0: there you go that's why
2: (laughs) yeah you thought that (laughs) they would have complied with that but instead they went to the superintendent they complained about me and uh uh uh, alleged that i was blocking kids from being moved into alternative ed (laughs) so i got called down to the superintendent's office uh uh, myself, along with my supervisor at the time, Susan Losada. And the superintendent said to me basically, Hey, I'm hearing from principals that you're blocking kids from being moved into alternative ed. And I said, I'm not doing any such thing. I met with the principals, I met with the assistant principals, I provided in service training, provided them with all of the documentation, uh, you know, uh, explained to them what needs to be done, what's required by the state to move students into alternative ed, uh, to comply with due process, uh, to comply with uh, special ed and IEP guidelines. Uh, I explained all of that to the principals and assistant principals, and they're sending me referrals that are just incomplete. Mm. And uh, the superintendent basically looked at me and said, "Uh, I want those students moved into alternative ed. (laughs) I said, wait a minute, you're a superintendent (laughs) and, and, and you're saying that you want me to move these students in, although I'm telling you, that the principals aren't providing me the the proper documentation, and he said, "Yep, that's what i What I'm. Uh, that's what I want." And I said, "Well, I, I'm advising against it. Uh, are you directing me to do that?" And he said, "Yes, uh, I'm directing you to move those kids into alternative." Ed. So basically, you had the superintendent of a school district, hmm. who is an officer of the state, right. uh, because he holds a letter of superintendency. He's directing me. To knowingly uh, engage in illegal and unethical conduct, and to knowingly violate due process and civil rights of students, predominantly mm. Black and Brown, Latino, and African American students in the Allentown School District. That was the directive that he gave to me. And again, I, I said, "Look at the, this is this is not right. This is this is illegal. It's unethical." And uh, That was the directive that he gave me. So when I left that meeting with my supervisor, I I looked at Susan and I said, hey, Susan, what the heck am I going to do here? If I comply, I'm complicit. I'm complicit and I'm Mm -hmm. part of the problem. Mm -hmm. If I do not comply, then I risk being insubordinate and I could be fired. Right. So it was a very difficult situation. Uh, And what eventually I decided to do was that... uh, I decided that I would schedule the intake for those students in alternative ed. I copied all of the referrals that were sent to me by the administrators. Uh, Most of those referrals, they're included in my book, Deliberate and Justice. They were incomplete or blank. I mean, literally blank. Yes. Kid's name on it, and pretty much that's it. No parent signatures, no due process. (laughs) So I I, uh, scheduled the intake for those kids, moved them into alternative ed. And uh, after they were enrolled in the program, I contacted uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Education, uh, the Office of Alternative Education for Disruptive Youth, and I reported uh, the Outtown School District uh, for non-compliance. And uh, I remember the conversation with Drew Shuckman. Uh, he said, wait a minute, you're, you're reporting the downtown School District uh, for non-compliance uh, regarding due process and civil rights violations uh, in regards to moving and placing students in the alternative education program. I said, yes, that is the nature of my complaint. Yes. And he said, what is your, your title or what is your position within the district? <laughs> and I said, I'm the director of alternative education. He <laughs> I mean, said, wait a minute, let me get this right. You're reporting your own program. I said, yes, I'm reporting my own pro- My program, the program that I am the director of, Mm -hmm. is now operating out of compliance, and we are in violation of students' due process and civil rights. And uh, he said to me, well, if you knew that that the referrals were incomplete and that it was a violation of due process for civil rights, why did you accept the students into the program? And I said to him, because I was directed to do so. And he said, he asked me, who directed you to do that? And I said, my superintendent, Dr. Mayo, and uh, you know, I said I-, I have the emails in writing. I have all of the documentation. He said, share that documentation with me. We are going to schedule a uh, a uh, compliance visit. A non we're going to uh, schedule a uh, compliance visit to the downtown School District. An unscheduled compliance visit to the Allentown School District. Two weeks later, uh, the Department of Education. Uh, Arrived at uh, the IP uh, school, uh-huh. conducted the uh, the uh, the monitoring compliance visit, and uh, the district was bound to be out of compliance. Uh, surprise, surprise! Found <laughs> to be out of compliance. The district was cited uh, for eight violations, and uh, there was red ink all over the place. And uh, it didn't take too long for the superintendent to to realize that uh, I'm the one that blew the whistle on the district. And that target uh, got bigger on on your back. Yeah, uh, the retaliation (laughs) continued, But it wasn't only, you know, uh, the administration, the superintendent, the principals, the the assistant principals that were just uh, engaging in this type of uh, action. That was detrimental to kids. You know, Howie, you saw it. (laughs) Teachers in the alternative ed uh, program, you know, writing kids up, you know, Yes. For nonsense, and not only that, but you saw this, Howie. They would provoke and instigate the students. Yes, they and did. And then, you know, when the student responded, they would categorize the student's respond response as a threat, yep. and would be quick to call the police. And uh, you know, all we were doing was criminalizing student behaviors. Now, we had students understand. We had students in the alternative program that had IEPs had specific learning disabilities, had specific emotional uh, disabilities, Mm -hmm. and they were entitled by law to receive specific programming uh, through their IEP. But the schools, instead of delivering uh, uh, their IEP and providing the services, found it easier and cheaper to just dump them in alternative education. So now (laughs) when these kids are being disruptive in alternative education— because they're academically frustrated or we're not addressing their social, emotional needs. We're not addressing their learning disabilities because the alternative education program doesn't have the resources or the staff to provide those services. Now, when the students are are, are frustrated and they're responding to the teachers, provoking them by saying all sorts of things to them, You know, when the student responds and says, wait, watch your back or, hey, let's take it outside. Now they're categorizing those statements as threats. And now we're calling the police and we're criminalizing behaviors. And now we're moving students into the criminal justice system. And there goes your school to prison pipeline. So long story short, if you look at my book, Deliberate Injustice," it's a blueprint for the school to prison pipeline. We take these kids... From a regular school environment, we, we, we respond to their behaviors, you know, uh, by moving them into the uh, school discipline system. And then instead of trying to uh, provide interventions or resources to these students to address those inappropriate resources or provide the appropriate resources to your special education students, instead of doing those things, We just dump them in an an alternative education program, and we don't provide any of those resources. And then we compound matters by putting teachers in alternative education programs that shouldn't even be teaching. Not all of them. Just teaching in general. All the teachers that way. Because, Howie, you know, we had some really good teachers. Oh, yeah. We had some really good teachers. Sure did. But we we also had three or four that were just constantly – creating issues and mm-hmm. provoking kids uh and uh those were the teachers that were writing these kids up those were the teachers that were provoking and instigating these kids those were the teachers that were calling the police and you know having these kids arrested and moved into the criminal justice system yeah and uh you know it's that cycle it's it the is. school to prison pipe
0: you know what Jose yeah. and Troy I was going to say too that uh, there were times where police came to. Now, see, my job—I I worked like we partnered with the school district where I worked. I worked for a, a company called Vision Quest, and that company partnered, and we sort of kind of helped with the the behavioral milieu, so to speak. And uh, and so we had staff that was just in charge of the behavior aspect of things, and uh, a part, a small part of counseling and so forth. And uh, there were times. Police came to the door of the school, and I had no idea why the police were there. Only to find out that a teacher called the police, not informing us, you know, of what's going on, so that we can be aware of it. And, you know, and that's when I started kind of raising my eyebrow on, hey, you know, something's kind of going on that's weird here, that's just not right. And not only that, but you know, we even had, um, we even had teachers. That were pulled into these secret meetings with, um, with upper management like superintendents and and the school board and so on. I was even pulled. I was even pulled into a meeting with the school board and the superintendent. And I don't even know if you ever knew this, Jose, but they were asking me questions about you. And I'm like, you know, and I'm like. I'm sorry but I'm I'm not here. I'm not in charge of Jose. Jose is not in charge of me. I sort of do my thing, he does his thing and uh and you know, and I and I was kind of honest with them and that's probably why they stopped talking to me because I was like, you know, there's a lot of wrong things going on in here and I started talking about, you know, at that time it was one specific teacher and uh and I started kind of discussing what was going yes. on there. And uh, and they didn't want to hear anything about that guy, you know. They they only wanted oh. to hear what was bad about Jose, and uh, and that's when I knew they were on a mission uh, to to um, basically get rid of you, Jose, because you weren't going yep. against their you were going against their agenda. So yes,
2: yes. Well, and, and, and obviously, you know, the teachers union played a big role in that. Yeah. And uh, they had one or two teachers that was constantly, you know, filing false discipline referrals on students yep. and went as far as to file uh, false uh, claims against me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, filing false grievances against me because the teachers union and the administration was looking at um, getting rid of me because, again, you know, uh, I didn't follow the status quo. And uh, I, uh, you know, took actions to report the, the, the school district uh, for being out of compliance. And basically, all I was doing was trying to, you know, protect kids mm-hmm. and do right by, by the students. Right. And, 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 you know, as an educator, you know, as a community advocate and a youth advocate, and, you know, uh, so closely identifying with these kids, you know, uh, that, that's, that's what I believe. And I continue to believe and always have is that that's my role and, and as an educator that that should be you know that we all uh, uh hold but but no uh you know in, in this particular situation in, in this district you know that was uh, not necessarily you know uh the uh the 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 format or or uh you know the direction that uh, the district was moving in and it, it, was, it was fortunate and uh, you know there were so many kids so many kids you know, that that found themselves being displaced from school, moved into the criminal justice system and, and how, you, you know, you and I know a lot of those kids and one on one, you would meet with those kids. I would meet with those kids, you know, and, and once you get past that, that facade, once you get past that, hmm. that angry demeanor, you know, what I talked about earlier, once you get past that, you know, you had kids that had aspirations, they were yep. good kids that had aspirations. You know, and, and that's what, you know, we were trying to, to reconnect with, you know, the, the school, the, the, the acronym for the school, IB, inspire, believe, educate, advocate, mentor, IB. And, and you know, I try to in, 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 in instill that uh, in our school. I, I did in-service with our staff trying to get them to buy into that mindset, right. you know, inspire, be, educate, advocate, mentor build kids up and again we had you know some really good people on our staff that really you know promoted them but as i learned you know going through school you can have you know four or five teachers that try to build you up but it only takes one to tear you down sure does and uh you know we have one or two that are constantly doing it and now you've got kids that are trying to do well and they're trying to earn their points and and, and and they're trying to buy into this because they know that the principal believes in that. They know that other teachers believe in, in the They know that uh, the behavior specialists believe in So now they're really trying because finally there are people that believe that they can do well. Yep. But now you have that one or two teachers that constantly sabotage them, provoke and instigate them, and boom, now you know they're, they're being set off. And as Howie said... They you know, they got to the point where now they weren't even, you know, gonna send the referral to me to intervene. They weren't gonna call the behavior specialist to intervene. They were picking up the phone in their classroom and calling the police nine one one directly. Right and the police were coming and I'm sitting in my office and the police are coming into my building. I'm like, who called the police? (laughs) You know, or I would be at another building, another uh, one of the alternative sites, and I'd be returning to IB and now you've got a kid being taken out of my building in handcuffs. What the heck happened? Oh no, teacher A or teacher B. Absolutely. So, you know, that's, you know, the unfortunate situation. And unfortunately, you know, that's not something that is, Uh, you know, uh, uh, only occurring or only occurred in Allentown. Unfortunately, that's systemic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found after I reported uh, these violations to the Pennsylvania Department of Education and the school district started to retaliate uh, against me, uh, I uh, had the opportunity to meet with uh, attorneys from uh, the Education Law Center out of Philadelphia. Actually, they contacted me when they found out uh, you know, some of the things that uh, I was encountering in the downtown school district, and they contacted me because the Education Law Center was putting together a federal complaint yep. regarding similar practices across the state of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. where districts across the state of Pennsylvania were engaging in the same types of behaviors. They were moving students into alternative education in violation of due process and civil rights, and a lot of these same types of things were happening in other Mm -hmm. districts, again, throughout the state. So the Education Law Center filed a federal complaint with the Department of Justice, Hmm. and uh, I eventually was interviewed by attorneys from the Department of Justice. They came up from Washington, D.C., and interviewed uh, me and, and Susan Lozada. And the documents that are in my book, Deliberate Injustice, Uh, I shared those documents uh, with uh, the Department of Justice as well. Hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, eventually uh, the Department of Justice uh, did intervene. Uh, It it didn't happen, uh, you know, uh, soon enough to help, you know, me, you know, save my job. (laughs) But uh, eventually, uh, I think it was a year or so after I eventually... Uh, left the Allentown School District. I was just forced to resign because, uh, you know, they were they were uh, taking termination actions against me. Uh, I was forced to resign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, shortly after that, about a year or so after that, uh, the uh, the uh, Pennsylvania Department of Education and the Department of Justice uh, reached an agreement uh, regarding the federal complaint that was filed by the Education Law Center. And as a result of that. Uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Education had to uh, really uh, look at uh, how they oversee and supervise alternative education programs uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and uh, they were uh, put under uh, corrective action to make sure that they're overseeing uh, the alternative education programs uh, throughout the state of Pennsylvania to ensure a safeguard against these practices occurring. So there was some good that came out of it, uh, but unfortunately, uh, that sounds good and, and it reads well on paper, but uh, many districts continue to do this yep. because, again, pet you know, <clears throat> uh, they're not informed, they're not educated, they don't know that their rights <coughs> and uh, the rights of their children are being violated. Uh, they don't have advocates that are going to make sure that. Uh, their rights and the rights of their children are are not being violated. So uh, even though uh, the Department of Justice intervened and uh, they reached this agreement and this settlement with the Department of Education regarding alternative ed in the state of Pennsylvania, unfortunately, a lot of those practices continue, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a disservice to our young people. It's a disservice to our community. Absolutely, <laughs> because again. You have all of these, you know, a significant number of young people that are being pushed into our criminal justice system. The cost, and and that's probably another show for a different day, or maybe you have (laughs) other people that can talk about that, but the cost of educating a child, the cost of educating a student, the per-student allocation uh, in the Allentown School District, and, and most districts, even some of your more affluent districts, would range somewhere between nine to twelve to thirteen thousand dollars per right. student per year. The per student allocation. If you look at your special education students, that could run, you know, nineteen, 000, twenty thousand, or depending on student needs, it could be uh, a little bit higher. Yep. But regardless, it's significantly less than what it costs to incarcerate someone. So, you know, here we are you know, uh, violating students' rights, pushing students out of school into the criminal justice system at a higher cost to our society, a higher cost to taxpayers. Uh, But I've always said that there are people that have a financial interest in keeping the poor and uneducated poor and uneducated. There are people that have a financial interest in moving kids and young people into the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. When you have uh, mm-hmm. uh our, our, our uh our prison system being privatized private prisons and uh many of the services that are provided through our prisons uh anything from uh the you know the the, the prison uh the, the 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 store uh the barbershop phone calls uh, all of those services being privatized people are making money off of that yep. and uh, it also reminds of uh you know the the, the one case uh, that Pennsylvania is famous or infamous for, kids for cash, yeah. and uh, just read in the newspaper this week that one of the judges that was convicted of, uh, of sentencing sentencing uh, you know young uh, juveniles, uh, many of them coming from these types of environments, many of them coming from environments such as the one that I came from you know, uh, talked about earlier in this interview, many of those kids that were being good at being bad, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sentencing a lot of those uh, those individuals, those young people uh, to uh, private uh, uh, juvenile detention centers and, and uh, profiting from that. So again, you know, all of those things that are going on in, in, in our systems, uh, you know, oftentimes work to the detriment of our young people and uh, it's easier to just give up on kids or just exploit them for whatever reason and uh, move them into the criminal justice system and, and profit off of them. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we're seeing a, a lot of that and hearing about uh, that more often now. But that's been going on for, you know, decades. Now. Yep. The past, you know, 20, 30 years or so. Sure uh, That's been going on. And, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, It's troubling. My midship personally and professionally to uh, just uh, to try to be an advocate uh, for those young people, uh, you know, and as an educator, uh, I, I just really believe it's, it's the ethical thing to do in addition to being the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's the ethical thing to do. And uh, that's what I've done. And, and I'm proud of that. But as, as you've uh, said, Howie, you know, I've paid a price
0: yeah
1: good for you you, but yeah i mean thank you because we're proud of you for that too that's i know that took a lot and i know you were probably in a really bad situation there where you want to do the right thing you obviously don't want to lose your job because you know that's probably what's going to end up happening but you made the right call and uh you know hopefully you helped change something at least
0: yeah and also jose um you know yeah, you have done a lot for your community. Uh, you've done a lot, even for yourself, uh, and being that role model that you know. Hey, you know what? You could have grown up in a rough neighborhood. You could have grown up doing some things that weren't so right, but you recognized that and you made something for yourself, and uh, and hopefully, you know, there'll be there are kids out there, and I'm sure there are. In fact, I'm sure even your own kids probably have learned a lot from you in the way that they have grown up, you know, and, and, um, you know, basically became the citizens they are today, you know, so you've done a lot for a lot of people and I've learned a lot from you, you know, and, and I'm sure the book that, or actually I, I want to say both books you've written, there's a lot to be learned from. I know the first one, I learned a lot from, uh, those takings. In fact, I use some of those, um, quotes when it comes to my teachings. And, uh, and the second book, (laughs) you ruffled a lot of feathers, uh, no doubt about that, but you know what? They needed to be ruffled and, uh, and you, and you made a statement and you weren't afraid to back down from the statement. And I felt like, uh, you know, things like that need to be heard. In fact, anybody who's listening to this podcast and, uh, you know, and they're wanting to know, you know what, how can I fight the system? Like if there is a frustrated parent out there that is dealing with a situation, Jose, what do you recommend that they do in regards to, um, you know, fighting the system for not treating their child the way they deserve to be treated?
2: Well, you know, you would hope that there are people within, uh, you know, the school districts that, that serve as advocates uh, for, for the students. Uh, but I, I can't, you know, based on my experience in Allentown, I, I can't say that, uh, you know, we just have to blindly trust, Yeah. you know, the system. I think that parents have got to be willing to educate themselves. And unfortunately, you know, we've got a lot of parents that are just dealing with so many issues themselves that, you know, uh, it, it's difficult for them, you know, to, to mm-hmm. be able to find out what's going on and what their rights are, and what their what their child's rights are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as much as possible, you know, try to educate yourself uh, on, on what uh, what your rights are. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, seek out advocates uh, and don't necessarily always rely on on the school. There's a lot of nonprofit agencies uh, and maybe, you know, there's a nonprofit agency within your community. Uh, you know, here in the Lehigh Valley, you know, we, we have the Spanish Council, uh, the Hispanic Center. Uh, Promised neighborhood, uh, Casa Guadalupe. So you might want to, uh, you know, visit uh, you know, one of these nonprofit uh, agencies within your community and see if they have people there that could serve as advocates, uh, as resources for you, uh, advocates for for your children. But I think the bottom line is that you've got to become informed. You have to uh, become informed of what your rights are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to be able to, uh, you know, uh, take it upon yourself to want to challenge the system. If you think that your children aren't being treated fairly, if you think that something is is just uh, uh, unethical uh, or there's a violation uh, of your child's rights, uh, you know, ask those questions at the school. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, be insistent. Don't don't you know allow yourself to be put off by the counselor, by the assistant principal, by the principal. Ask those questions. And again, you know, if you're not satisfied with some of the answers or responses that you're getting at the school, you know, seek out some guidance or advocacy uh, from, uh, you know, uh, those nonprofit organizations that uh, I'm certain exist in, in communities throughout, the uh, mm-hmm. you know, the state and, and, and even outside. But uh, you have to become informed. Uh, yep. and, uh, there, there are, I mentioned the Education Law Center, uh, or even call uh, Pennsylvania Department of Education. You know, call the Pennsylvania Department of Education and speak with someone there and uh, let them know what your concerns are. If your child has an IEP and you feel that the school district is not uh, complying or delivering the IEP, you know, make it known to to those individuals at the, at the state level. yeah uh, but uh, you have to be able to. You know, educate yourself, ask questions, and then you know, seek advice or, or seek those people that uh, that can be advocates for you uh, and your child. But uh, you you have to be willing to do that and mm-hmm. question and challenge the system, especially if you believe that uh, there's something that's uh, uh, that's being done that's illegal, unethical, or just uh, you know. Uh, you know, something that, that's just, you know, based on race, ethnicity, yep. you know, some type of violation. Absolutely. You know, educate yourself and, and seek an advocate.
0: And also buy your book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so. I to say, uh, you know, you can
1: buy, <laughs> he has two books, uh, Being Good at Being Bad, also Delivered Injustice. Uh, they can visit your website. That's org. That's correct? Yes, org. Okay, and then also on that website, uh, I see you have uh, um, information you can fill in there. You're available for uh, public speaking?
2: Yes, uh, I do uh, quite a bit of public speaking. And whether, you know, it's meeting with young people, you know, sharing my story, motivational speaking, but also staff development, working with professional staff, whether it's educators, uh, community leaders, elected officials, just talking about... uh, you know, uh, understanding some of the systemic barriers, you know, today, obviously we're, we're talking about, you know, criminal justice reform. We're seeing what's happening with the Black Lives Matters of that particular movement, mm-hmm. uh, looking at, the, you know, a, a lot of the injustices that, that take place. We've talked about a lot of those, uh, in our schools, right. uh, understanding the, the juvenile justice system, the criminal justice system, uh, you know, and then also politics, uh, Becoming politically involved. So, uh, you know, I, I do quite a bit of uh, staff development and training, uh, again, professional staff, people in the community, and we can talk about, you know, navigating some of those concerns uh, within our school system mm-hmm. or also, you know, within our community, uh, the political structure and, uh, you know, what we need to do to become uh, politically engaged and, and, and make a difference politically. So, uh, you know, I, I think that. Uh, you know, based on uh, my personal and professional experiences, uh, you know, as an educator, community advocate, and also uh, in politics, that, uh, you know, I have certain insights and, uh, you know, I, I think that there, there are certain things that I, I can certainly share with people. And, uh, you know, through the staff development sessions that I provide, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I could help uh, uh, folks uh, really, you know, understand uh, the different, you uh, Structures that they're dealing with, uh, systems that they're dealing with, and how we could affect and implement change. Most definitely, and thank
0: you, Jose. It was uh, oh my gosh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's great to see you again, and uh, and uh, just keep up the good fight. And uh, and I hope your knees are getting better.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, my knees are fine. I mean, I had my second knee operation, my uh, second knee replacement. Uh, my range of motion is not good, but I'm still running. Uh, it, it, I, I saw a groin injury a couple months ago. That's nasty. Yeah. It's nasty. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm fifty-six, and uh, the body doesn't heal as well as it used to. But I, I, I try not to slow down. I'm still running. I'm still you know uh, you know dealing with uh, uh, substance abuse. And I talked a lot about this early on. Yeah. And, and let me just finish on this note. Sure. I, I've been clean and sober. I've been clean and sober for over 30 years now, so... Oh, my gosh. You know, Good for you. And, uh, and, uh, the running is is part of my therapy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, life is a journey. And, and uh, you know, all of us have to, uh, you know, do a lot of self-reflection and and uh, self-healing. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I can honestly say that uh, I've had to overcome a lot in my lifetime, and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of injustices and a lot of uh, obstacles that were imposed upon me. You know, uh, again, you know, uh, my, 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 my home life, my community, I, I had no choice about, uh, you know, where I lived, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was a lot of obstacles that were imposed on me mm-hmm. and I had to overcome those obstacles. But without a doubt, the most difficult obstacles that I had to overcome were those that uh, I imposed on myself. Mm. and uh, when you talk about substance abuse and addiction uh, yeah so uh, yeah. you know people that are out there struggling with substance abuse or addiction uh, you know I, I just want to say hey look at uh, you know uh, if you're moving towards sobriety you know uh, you know absolutely you know uh, you know take those steps to, to reach sobriety and those people that have reached sobriety absolutely. Uh, be strong.
0: Yeah, most so, uh, definitely. And uh, now, excellent. now we can say, Jose. Uh, life is tough. Yeah, is yeah, exactly. Tough. And you know, yeah. and now we can say, Jose, you're you're actually good at being good. So uh, keep up the great work, buddy. <laughs> keep up the great work.
2: <laughs> well, you know, you you get to a point where you stop beating yourself up. But like I said, it, it's difficult enough to overcome the system and those barriers that are imposed upon you. Those difficult to, those obstacles are difficult enough to overcome but when you start to uh, you know uh, uh, impose uh, those those obstacles on yourself and you start to engage in those uh, those self-limiting and those self-destructive behaviors uh, substance abuse uh, absolutely those are the most difficult to overcome so you uh, Yeah, uh, I can certainly talk about that as well.
0: (laughs) Most definitely. Well, hey, thanks again, Jose. You've been a great interview, bud. And uh, actually, I don't even count the interview. It's just a great chat. So uh, awesome talking with you. And, uh, you know, don't hesitate to, if you ever need to come on and talk about something, we're always here for you. All right. And, uh, well... Thank you again, Jose Rosado. You can you can uh, find out more about Jose as far as if you want to do speaking engagements, you want to purchase his book, go on to uh, joserosado.org uh, for more details. And uh, Troy, what'd you think?
1: Um, I, like I said, it really opened my eyes up to a lot of things I didn't know were going on. Yeah. Um, the one thing that probably stuck with me the most um, was when he said, "If you ask, you know, a young child." what their dreams are, mm-hmm. and they have all these great aspirations as to what they maybe want to do when they grow up, and then not even 10 years later, you ask that same kid the same question, and it's totally different, and it's not the same dreams that they once had, right. and we got to figure out as a society, as parents, as you know, foundations for our young people, we need to find out. Where that's going wrong, that kids can no longer dream when they get to be an older age.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That
1: being said, I, I I understand the difference between dreams and reality. Things are going to change there. I understand that. Right. But that doesn't mean you still can't shoot, have, have your high aspirations.
0: Yeah. You know? Let them strive for those dreams, and uh, right. And you know what? Maybe along the line they'll they'll figure out. You know what? Maybe this isn't going to work for me, and let them figure it out. But don't right. Don't you be the voice in their head, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a shame because it, and that's that's actually what stuck out with me the most, Troy. In fact, I mentioned that to Jose when we were talking uh, mm-hmm. because I actually use I actually use that line on many mm-hmm. occasions when I do some of my teachings, and uh, and it's it's really amazing because it is true. It is mm-hmm. true because when we when we had the same because I had the same kids as he had in this in the Allentown Alternative Ed program and uh and you talk about these kids because sometimes we'll we would do counseling sessions and with them and uh and whatnot and uh and some of these kids answers uh no exaggeration is yeah um where do i see myself in five years probably dead you know or probably in jail you know um because that's the only path that is headed my way in some answers you know and that's that's a real a shame. That's a real shame for, you know, kids that are 15, 16 years old, you know. In fact, uh, both Jose and I both had a a kid in that school who was 16 years old who is now in prison for 39 years, you know. He he committed a double homicide as a 16-year-old, you know. um, And that was – but you know what though, Troy? Uh, You know, and this is something I've always taught, you know, We can look at that kid and say, oh my gosh, that kid's behavior is just so out of control. You know, He's a murderer. He's this. He's that. But when you start digging beneath the surface of this kid, you'll learn that for his mom, his mom would subdue him. This is how she punished all her kids. She would take her gun, a real gun, and load it with rubber bullets. And when these kids got out of control, she would shoot them. What? That's how she subdued them. And she's not in prison. No, no, no. So, so when you look at things like that, you know, you you start realizing this is what what other choice do these kids have? You know, what other things have they learned to do to to take care of themselves? Really, it it comes from how they are brought up and who yeah. raised them, and that's that. You know, there's no other rhyme or reason about it and that's a shame because yeah I, I can look at this kid and trust me when, when I was dealing with this kid he was a violent kid in school he was I, I've done more than one time I had to restrain this kid because of violence but you know look at his history look at where he's come from and mm-hmm. get an understanding of why he was the way he was you know sometimes people can't look beneath, beneath that surface they, they only look at what they're seeing and what they're seeing is a violent acting out kid, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, but there's, there's a root to that, like you oh, were saying, yeah. like why,
1: you know, so let's, you know, you can't fix, you can't fix something after it's already, well, I shouldn't say that. It's hard yeah. to fix something after it's already been ruined. It so really let's is. get to the root of it and let's fix the root mm-hmm. before it even gets to that point.
0: Yeah. You know? Yep. Let's figure out why these kids are not having a, a father or a mother in their family. And in, in some cases, they're being raised by their grandparents, or or they're being raised on the streets with gangs. You know. So let's figure out why that's happening and put a stop to that. And uh, you know, we can talk about all the violence that we're seeing in today's world, but there's a reason for that stuff happening. You know, and it, a lot of it comes from within the family structure of these folks uh, and how they grow up,
1: and, and you know what? And I know I mentioned this in our interview with Jose too. But the thing I keep going back is to uh, to your your neighbor. Yes, you know, like if if we could have more people that would be willing to take roles like that in people's lives that don't have father figures, right? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing too? Because look what I mean. Just from the articles I read about about. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I know his name's Andy, but I can't think of his last name. Worley. Worley, that's it. Uh-huh. Um, just from the articles I read about him, just like it, you could tell how much those students cared about him and oh, really yeah. how much, not only how much they cared about him, but how much they meant to, he meant to them and they meant to him vice versa. Yeah. Like it was one big thing. And, I mean, I don't even know where... I. I don't even know what I want to say, like because I wish I could be more like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really takes a special person to be able to do that, it does. and and it's and it's time consuming as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're taking time away from your own family, probably in some cases, to do oh, stuff yeah. like that. And
0: and he, so, yeah he was sure. So that's you know, it's
1: it's not it's not an easy sacrifice to make, right? Um, but with that being said, if if there's any way. You can find a place in your heart or a you know time in your schedule to help somebody out that might just need somebody to nudge them along the right path a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, just show show them that you care. Yes. that type of thing. That sometimes that's all they need. And because I in the interview he specifically even said that like mm-hmm. there's they'd help, they'd always have this mask or this hard shell or whatever that they'd have right over the top of them. Yeah. But once he got into conversations with them, and it lasted and he would keep talking to them and asking them how their day was or whatever eventually that shell would start to break down and right. they'd say hey this this guy's not just doing this because he has to do it this guy's doing it because he cares and he wants to see you know he wants to see me do something with my life you know
0: yeah, it's so true and, so, and yeah think about this too Troy um you mentioned about it being time consuming and yeah if you if you do if you go above and beyond and do things like you know what Andy has done or Or what Jose has done, Um, yeah, it it could be time-consuming. But you know what? It's not time-consuming to go up to somebody and say, "Hey, good morning." You know, some of these kids, for example, they didn't have anybody in their life to to even provide them a good gesture, such as good morning. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, so why not just say good morning? Because you know what? Um, You can find out a lot about somebody just by how they respond to you. You yeah. know, if, like if you... I, I know
1: exactly what you mean because it always like, um, and this is just an exa- um a shoot off example. Uh-huh. It's not really about this subject, but it is about the greeting of people. Sure, like um, we have a neighbor that walks our dogs probably two, three times a day. Right, but like they'll walk right by you. You're outside in your yard doing whatever. They'll walk right by you and they won't say a word unless you say something to them first. Yeah, and, and I'm just like. I just think that's really weird. Like, you know, it just – it makes you really feel uncomfortable. Like this person Mm -hmm. is just kind of walking by. Like what are they hiding? Why don't they want to talk to you? (laughs) Like you know what I mean? I know.
0: I know. And I see this person walking by every day and I'm like, you know what? I've lived here for 17 years and I have no idea who that person is by name or – you know, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's they really odd. Here. Yeah, it is odd, and that's that's so sort just of- saying hello to somebody or how
1: are you doing or greeting mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I know sometimes it's just the uniform thing to say, like it's just, but it's it's a greeting. Yeah, it, it doesn't make it feel as as uncomfortable. Like, hey, right. this this guy's you know saying hi to me, whatever, cool. You know, we can. I don't have to, you know, walk by here with my head down or feel like, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, go to the local convenience store, you know, uh, and when you go up to the cash register, hey, good morning. How are you? And, uh, you know, and they might respond with the typical, oh, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. You know, but then, you know, just – Whatever your whatever your personality is, let it shine. You know, be like with me. I might crack a joke or something with the person, and that might make their day for the day. Who knows? Yeah, you know. But
1: my wife—that's one of my wife's biggest pet peeves—is when she goes to the store mm-hmm. and she doesn't even get greeted when she goes to check out. Oh yeah, like like she'll always make it a point to say when she's leaving, "Have a good day too," or something like that. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because like how rude is that? That you're somebody's coming into your establishment and making business with your company and you're not even going to acknowledge them
0: like, right i know i know i've had that incident happen before and and i actually went up to that person uh, i'm not going to say what store because i don't want to put the store down but sure. uh but uh, the person at the cash register did not even acknowledge my existence and i was actually going up to her and asking where something was and she just mm-hmm. like she literally looked at me like with that that dumbfounded look and and just didn't respond and i was like you know i'm okay if you don't know where it is but at least let me know <laughs> and yeah. i actually said that to her and you know and i was like I, I, you know i'm sorry you're having a bad day or having a bad week but you know that doesn't mean you take it out on your customers and maybe you need to maybe step take a step back and figure out what's going on with you before you interact with other people yeah so
1: yeah, it's quite annoying, and yeah. I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole. But it's just, <laughs>
2: yeah, but it,
1: it, it, it does all kind of tie in because it it's does. just a matter of of greeting people, um, acknowledging them, and just being part of humankind. Mm-hmm. Really, is what it is, you know. These kids, a lot of these kids that grew up that way, they they never had that in their lives, yeah. you know, and just for them to have that all of a sudden would probably help tremendously with a lot of them.
0: It really would, and I always say that, you know, yeah, we're not going to solve all world's problems, but I can tell you right now, we can solve a lot of them through consistency, through courtesy, and just being genuine, you know, mm-hmm. and if we can practice those three things, uh, it would go so far, And uh, but, but that's easier said than done, because we just, Absolutely. Got, you know, we got people, whether it's in the media, or in the community, or whatever, that just sometimes they they feed off of the negative
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know and hey like we've we talked to with our, our buddy troy martin you know uh you know if it doesn't bleed it doesn't lead so why should we why should we do it you know because right. you know but yet kindness is going to go a lot further but kindness is something we tend to steer away from yeah because it doesn't sell yep exactly but uh but yeah so uh so yeah we've we've definitely talked a lot about this and uh and you said we were kind of going down that rabbit hole but you know what like you said it it's it connects it all mm-hmm. connects to that big circle of life and uh, i think we can learn a lot from this interview with jose and uh and the fact that he was able to stand up and and do what was right even though he probably knew the consequences weren't going to be so good uh, mm-hmm. But he still did it anyway, and and I I definitely applaud him, you know, for for doing yeah. what he did.
1: I I got to kick out of that part when he says when he's uh the was it the Pennsylvania Department of Education, yes, when they came to him and they said, no, wait a minute, you're you're uh, what what did he say? What was the word he used? He, oh. basically put you're putting your own school in blast, like yeah. For- ba- so
0: basically, you are uh, how did he word it? He so basically you are reporting not only your own school but also the building that you are in charge of. <laughs> and Jose was like, "Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what I'm doing." You know. Uh, but uh but yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Um you know, obviously we have to use the words allegedly did this and allegedly right. did that. Right. But I, I Troy um you know, I witnessed it firsthand myself. So, you know, what what he's saying is is very legit and uh, and he even, like he said, he even provided the documentation in his book, you know, mm-hmm. all the documentation that kind of points it all out. It's there. It's in writing. It's, it's in black and white. It's, you know, it, it doesn't get any more real than, than that. And that's a shame because, you know, there's a guy who's willing to make a difference in the inner city community and, and he was getting so many roadblocks to do so.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, because that's a, that's not an easy situation to be in by any means. No, and to have somebody willing to want to try to do it, and then you're just pushing them away.
0: Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why? So, but yeah. So, uh, but yeah. That in, that concludes uh, part two of our interview with Jose. And uh, well, Troy. I mean, I say we just kind of, you know. Leave it at that, and uh, yeah, we got a,
1: we got a few more interesting interviews lined up. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward have, to um, it. You have a cartoonist coming up. We have a cart. Um,
0: well, yeah, I mean he's he's uh, done a lot more than just his cartoon work. In fact, he's not really he hasn't really dove into his cartoon work uh, lately. But he does. Okay. If you ever get a chance, though, you need to check his political cartoons out. He also does animal cartoons, which is really funny too. Uh, a lot of satire and such, and uh, and he's actually done his cartoons for some pretty big names, you know, such as Sean Hannity uh, for in you know from Fox, you know, he's done some <laughs> political cartoons there that have wound up on that website. Uh, and and I remember I used to work with him as well in the past, and he used to he used to draw everybody in in Simpson form, like he could just sit down, they'd walk by, and he can just draw it. Just like that within minutes mm-hmm. and just a really neat talent and uh, and you know he's he's really funny he's got a dry sense of humor and uh, I can't wait to kind of talk to him about you know all the stuff that he's been involved in uh, and he actually owns his own business as well so yeah okay he, he'll be a fun interview and uh, and then the uh, then the following interview after that I believe we have lined up is uh, um, you know is a brewery. And uh, what was that brewery called? Uh, now it's going to... Oh, boy. Yeah, but anyway. I know you said it's in Perry County and Maryville. Yeah, Marysville, Marysville uh, Perry County. And... Liquid Noise. Yes, Liquid Noise. We're going to be interviewing the owner of Liquid Noise Brewing Company in Marysville. And, uh, in fact, you can, find, uh, you can find that brewing company on liquidnoisebrewing.com. So yep. uh, and but, it
2: they do have a Facebook page as well. Yeah.
0: So you
1: can go there. So um yeah, I'll be interested to talk to him. Um I it's something I've never dove into as far as brewing my own beers or you know, even doing my own wine or anything like that, but it's always been something I found interesting. Yeah. You know. <clears throat>
0: yeah, And
1: I know um I know Jesus that we had one last week. I know he loves brewing his own beers and stuff, so I'm sure he'll. Well, he's he's also a big cartoonist and a, a oh, wow. guy, and yeah. yeah. So I'm sure he'll love listening to that guy as well too. Yeah, so. it's like we designed I, our least, show least, for him. I know. Like he, every week, we're gonna have something new for him. Yeah, I know, exactly. I have to see what else he's into. I know, maybe <laughs> we can try to get somebody like the creator of the Ninja Turtles
0: on for him. Or something. Oh, there we go. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. So yeah, so uh, but that concludes our interview this week, and uh, definitely stay tuned for uh, our upcoming weekly interviews and uh, and whatnot. And our mystery clips, we'll definitely rejoin them again. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention too. You know, in fact, probably after this segment, I'm sure we're even a lot higher than that. But uh, we reached our 400th. Listener, this past week, which is uh, which is a big accomplishment for us. So, thanks again, everybody, for taking the time to listen. And each time I look into the um, files here, you know, I'm just seeing our numbers going up and up and up. And in fact, there are people that are still listening to our first ever show. Mm -hmm. uh, That those numbers even keep rising every week. So it's really neat to see that. Well, I think maybe as people find.
1: Different shows that we had, you know, recently. Yeah. They probably went back and listened to our earlier ones then too, as well. That would probably be my guess. But
0: yeah, in fact, I'm kind, of, um, I'm kind of interested. I'll have to listen to our first show again just to kind of, yeah, <laughs> do a little yeah. comparison from. Maybe you know, we ought to
1: wait a little bit. But yeah, I would like to too. <laughs> you, know? you know, maybe we ought to wait. Um, maybe like our 50 episode mark there or you something go. like that. We'll go. Maybe play a couple of clips of it or something like that.
0: Yeah, you know? I like it. That's a good idea. But um, yeah, so. Uh, please keep spreading the
1: word. Keep you know telling your friends. Keep sharing it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you're mm-hmm. finding us. Keep doing that because um, you know we just want to keep growing an audience and getting information out to you guys and try to find the best interviews we can for you.
0: Definitely, definitely. So, uh, so anyway, guys, you guys have a good rest of the week and uh, well, into our next episode, stay tuned and we'll close it out, Troy, with. Uh, Well, with what you do best, your outro.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode. Please like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at StayTunedTNH. Email us, StayTunedTNH at gmail.com. And uh, whichever podcast avenue you're listening to us on, Google, Apple, Spotify. Uh, Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And until next week, stay tuned.